You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to another episode of the Giants Double Play Podcast. I am Henry Schulman, the Giants beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, and this is a sad occasion for a podcast. Uh, On Wednesday afternoon at four minutes past four o'clock, number 44, Willie McCovey, passed away at the age of 80. Uh, Mac had been sick for a very long time. Uh, I think everybody in the Giants family knew that uh, he had been in, in ill health. It's always still a shock when it happens. Uh, you know, at the very beginning of this podcast, you heard Bye Bye Baby, which is really more of a celebratory song than a mourning song. But we, we thought it was extremely fitting because, I mean, nobody besides Barry Bonds hit more home runs for the San Francisco Giants. And, um, you know, a lot of times it was the Bye Bye Baby Bonanza uh, and it was Willie McCovey who hit him, and he hit him a long way. I am joined on this podcast by John Shea, our national baseball reporter. Uh, John and I both knew Willie. Uh, we come at Willie from different perspectives, interestingly. John grew up here in Northern California, uh, and I grew up in Southern California. So he grew up watching Willie as a fan. I grew up watching Willie as a foe. And both of us uh, really came to respect him when we got to know him Um, as an alumnus uh, of the San Francisco Giants and a Hall of Famer. And in this podcast, John and I are going to talk a lot about Mac uh, and who he was as a person, who he was as a player. And we're going to hear some clips, too, from uh, his Hall of Fame acceptance speech in 1986. That's all coming up on Giants Double Play. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Welcome back to the Giants Double Play Podcast. Uh, Again, I'm Henry Shulman, the Giants beat reporter, and I'd like to introduce John Shea, our national baseball reporter. Uh, He has uh, been covering baseball since 1984, covering the Giants like me since 1988. And John, uh, yesterday was a really, really rough day. Uh, uh, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, how you heard the news and your reaction to it. Well, the last few days, I guess I kept in touch with friends and family. I sort of knew things were coming to an end here. But knowing Willie, like we do, like everybody does, he just overcame so much and always smiled and never complained. So you thought, okay, he's going to overcome this too. But he didn't. It was the only battle he lost. 
and he won a million of them, uh, overcoming physical issues with his knees, his his heart, which failed him a couple of times, and he was revived. He thanks doctors for saving his life many times. Four years ago, he was near death with an infection that almost ended it for Willie, and he overcame that, and he showed up to the 14 postseason, and nobody expected that. They said, okay, let's wait the offseason, come back next year. No, I want to go. And he and he showed up. Estella, his lovely wife, who uh, they married in August. Uh, they've been a couple for almost a decade. And she's been wonderful through all of this. And the whole city and Bay Area, the region, the team, the fans, they, they've kind of battled around him. And when he left us, speaking with many people for our obituary and reflective pieces, I just heard so many people say, you know what? He's no longer feeling the pain. And I, I, I was told, you know, now he's out of his chair. He's taking batting practice. He's hitting some balls into the cove. And, and people realized he suffered. And people were almost relieved he's no longer suffering. But it's still a sad day, yeah. a sad week, a sad year. It's gonna, it's not going away, but he'll never be forgotten. No, and uh, you know, I, I think that uh, every reminder that we have of him, which is going to come at uh, the memorial service, there's going to be probably a public memorial opening day, and of course the Willie Mack Award. It's kind of hard to imagine what the first Willie Mack Award without Willie is going to be like uh, next September. Uh, and and like you, I heard the same thing uh, about the relief of suffering. And I also, Mike Kruko, I talked to him, and, and Mike sat in the booth. He worked in the booth right next to Willie's booth uh, up on the third deck at uh, AT&T on the third floor. And he said he never, ever once heard Willie complain about any physical ailment uh, he had. And uh, I, I did get a bad feeling the last time I saw him. Uh, it, it just, it, it looked a little different uh, uh, than, than the other times. And, and when you Got a, you got a hold of me yesterday um, and told me that uh, the end was near. Um, I was hardly shocked, but of course, uh, really saddened by that. Uh, and he, he just meant so much to the city of San Francisco, uh, which adopted him. Uh, I mean, he, here's a, a, a kid from Alabama uh, who, uh, you know, I mean, came to San Francisco, which might have, might as well have been the moon. Uh, and he, was really he and Orlando Cepeda were the first uh, real San Francisco uh, talents, stars who did not come from the New York Giants like like Willie Mays did. And uh, the, the city of San Francisco adopted him. And uh, Willie actually talked about that a little bit in his 1986 Hall of Fame acceptance speech. Why don't we give that a listen? I've been adopted, too, by all the thousands of great Giants fans everywhere and by the city of San Francisco, where I've always been welcome. And like the Golden Gate Bridge and the cable cars, I've been made to feel like a landmark, too. Indeed, Willie was a landmark here in San Francisco. Uh, the statue is a landmark beyond McCovey Cove that will be there uh, for a long, long time, till the end of time, hopefully. Uh, John, uh, you grew up in Marin County. Uh, you grew up a Giants fan. 
what was it like watching Willie? What are your first recollections of him um, as a kid? And I mean, you had so many greats on those teams in the '60s and in early '70s when you were growing up. I mean, what were your impressions about him? You're right. That was my era as a kid growing up watching Bay Area baseball, and here was this long, tall, graceful first baseman hitting behind the great maze. You know, who could do it all? And what a tandem they were, Willie and Willie. And it was really unbeatable, you know, maybe outside the Yankees with Mantle and Maris. But, you know, we on the West Coast thought, you know, these two were the best, maybe the best ever. You know, you talk about Bonds and Garrig, but, you know, Mays did so much as an overall player. And McCovey had just tremendous power. And he hit balls that you just couldn't see. Your eyes couldn't move that fast. And... You know, you talk about launch angles and exit velocities. I mean, he didn't want to hear about that. Nobody had exit velocities like McCovey. And forget launch angles. I mean, he hit line drives right over the second baseman that kept going over the fence. So that was the kind of player I remember as a kid. And then later in his career, you know, he spent a couple of years with the Padres and the A's. And we don't ever want to imagine him in those uniforms. He just looks so out of place. Uh, the year he was with Oakland, he was just there a few weeks. Especially those uniforms, yeah. Especially those <laughs> uniforms. Yeah, and you know he never hit a home run in the American League. He didn't hit much in, in in Oakland, and then came back to San Francisco in '77 and was named the Comeback Player of the Year. Suddenly, he regained his power stroke, and the fans were were so behind him, and uh, so many momentous uh, hits and. And, and plays and game-winning blows, and then '78 happened, and uh, you know they were in, they were in a race, you know, for the first time, and you know they didn't they didn't win anything, but it, it just kind of reunited the fan base. Uh, I, I remember I remember one time I was out there, and this was at the end of the line for Willie, and they, they you know fans didn't have much going for them. They, the, the teams weren't all that good overall. But everyone always went to the game thinking, okay, is Willie going to play? Is he going to play? And I remember in the ninth inning, he was introduced. He came in off the bench as a pinch hitter, and he got a standing ovation. So you remember how slowly Willie walked to the first base, to the plate? I mean, everything kind of is in slow motion, and he was must-see. I mean, you didn't want him to hurt. You just wanted him to go at his own pace. And so he walks to the plate. He's intentionally walked. He gets another standing ovation. He walks to first base. He gets pinch run for. So he walks off the field. Another standing ovation. I mean, it was about a five-minute five segment in which he did nothing but walk to the plate, walk to first, walk back to the dugout. And it was tremendous. It was amazing theater. And, uh, I mean, that was the highlight of the day, the fact that he just walked to the plate, walked to first, and went. But Nobody else in the history of the game would uh, would get so much attention for doing something like that. I mean, he was he was Bonds before Bonds. Uh, you know, the way he hit the ball hard, the way he pulled the ball, uh, the way defenses moved back on him, uh, the way he drew a walk, especially the intentional walk. He had the walk records before Bonds broke him. He had the most home runs for a left-handed hitter before Bonds came along in the National League, that is. 
and you know he, he, he means so much to your childhood when you grow up here and you know to see him later in life and to cover him and to talk to him and to go to his house and to interview him and to get to know him he's one of the few people that you know was a superstar as a ball player but beyond superstardom as a person and that's McCovey. Okay, John, now let me give you the perspective from a Dodger fan. Willie played in the very first major league game I saw. It was July 13th, 1969 at Dodger Stadium. And it's hard to ever forget the date that of the first game you went to because I stared at those tickets for about two and a half weeks when they came in the mail. You used to, when you used to want tickets, um, what, what I would do as a kid, I would actually get a piece of paper and a pen and I would write to the Dodgers and say, Please send me two tickets to the this and this game in in this level, and uh, you know, and they came in the mail, and uh, you know, my mom would write a check. It would be great. And he played in the first game that I ever saw, and danged if I can't, I can't picture it in my mind, which kills me. I was nine years old, and and I wish I had a great memory. I mean, Rhett Roshi tells us that uh, he went one for four that day, and. Uh, after Bobby Bonds hit a home run, Willie hit a double, and I don't remember it. But I, I did see him in subsequent games that I do remember. And, and the thing that just struck me so much, and, and maybe you can back me up on this, John, players today are so much bigger than they were then for the most part. And, and back then, when you had a guy who was his size, I mean, he was 6'4", they, they said he was 200 pounds, I, I would guess he was more than that. He really he he was like a giant. I mean, he was he was like Paul Bunyan, and he just didn't look like the other players. And the ball didn't sound off the bat like it did with other players. And I don't have a memory of him hitting a home run, but I sure have a memory of him hitting a pop up. And you know, there's that old joke in in baseball where the announcer says, "Whoa, that's way up there. Uh, that'd be a home run if he, we were playing in a silo." And and that's that's what I, I remember about that pop up. I, I saw that thing go up in the air, and and. Um, I believe it was at Dodger Stadium, not later in his career when I saw him at Candlestick. And, and that thing just went so high. And just to uh, generate the power to hit one that high, uh, you know, for an out, I, I thought was amazing, too. And, uh, you know, I, 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 San Francisco was a very exotic place in Los Angeles, and everything about it seemed exotic. Um, the only ball games in L.A. that we got to watch on TV were the Sunday road games and every game from Candlestick Park. And I was fixed to my uh, TV set and to see Mays and to see Bonds, Bobby, of course, to see McCovey. Um, it, it really was a big deal to me. And, and and even though I have, like you, have, you know, I mean, gotten to know thousands of ball players over the years, uh, it's those players that I was still in awe of. You know, Brandon Belt said in the story that uh, you and I wrote for the Thursday paper, that he was, uh, you know, he was afraid to talk to Willie the first time, and, and that's kind of how I felt too. Just because he was this giant from my childhood, um, was it? I mean, was it easy for you to talk to to Willie uh, when you first had the occasion to be a baseball writer and and got to know him? Well, only because he made it that way. You know, he he was welcoming to to anybody, whether you were a nobody like me or whether you were. Uh, somebody to his level in the baseball industry. And, uh, you know, here I was, a young buck reporter. I didn't know any better. And you go up to him and you think you know everything and yet you know nothing. And uh, and 
next thing you know, you're, you're talking with the, the fella that uh, you stood and watched and, and and loved and emulated, you know, and whether it's a, the Little League Diamond or the Wiffle Ball Court or whatever you want to do, you know, those the, the long, majestic uh, stride and stroke uh, with the big 36-inch bat, so picturesque, uh, you know, the, the, the way he uh, swung the bat, I mean, the, the, you've seen the poses and all the pictures and the videos and the statue itself, majestic. Uh, the way he glided around the bases and he had speed. He had a good arm in the in, for much of the '60s. Um, you know, the knee surgeries really took it out of him, and there are a lot of bad knee surgeries in his life. And he had so many. He always said, "You just stop counting." And imagine that. Uh, but yeah, he, he he was easy to speak with and. Um, you know, as a child, you remember the Lon Simmons interviews, and he'd pretty much answer every question with "That's right, Lon." You know, <laughs> in his uh, you know McCovey voice, that was one of a kind. And um, yeah, it it it, it, uh, it it's it's a tough time because you, you grow up with a player, and you know, if there's a 12 or 14 year old out there now, and whether it's Bryce Harper or Mike Trout or Mookie Betts. And they grow up and get older and then see these guys retire. And what do they do after retirement? And, you know, McCovey is so noble and uh, so gentlemanly uh, that you're just proud that that was one of your heroes. You know, a lot of a lot of kids look up to guys and they found out later, well, really, he's nothing what I thought he could have been or should have been. But McCovey was all of that. And he, like we said earlier, he, he just never complained about his health and I was speaking with Joe Morgan about that, and uh, he, he knew him as well as anybody. Uh, Joe Morgan, a quick story. Uh, Morgan was with the 82 Giants. Of course, they weren't teammates in San Francisco, but Morgan grew up in Oakland, Castlemont High School. Originally played with the Houston Colt 45s before they became the Astros. And he recalls a time after he broke in to the major leagues, and the Giants are in Houston. And these are all kids he idolized. His dad took them to... Seal Stadium, and little Joe Morgan, as a teenager, saw McCovey go four for four off Robin Roberts with two triples in his major league debut, and Joe was there. And uh, you know, a few years later, Joe's in Houston and watching batting practice, and it's McCovey, Mays, Cepeda, and uh, you know, these guys are taking BP, and, and Joe is just watching it and couldn't believe what he was watching. He's, I'm on the same field with these guys. So Cepeda walks over to him and said, hey, are you that kid from Oakland? And he said, yeah, he looks around, yeah, that's me. He said, well, come over here. So Cepeda brings him over to Mays and McCovey and Marichal, who happened to be pitching that night, and introduced Joe to all these people, all these legends. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, future Hall of Famers. And Joe thinks back to that. He told me, he said, I, I would have never imagined that I got to know these guys and became their friends. Uh, McCovey and Morgan were longtime buddies and golf partners. And Joe was there, like you said, uh, at bedside when Willie passed. And uh, Joe tells me, he said, I never would have imagined what what happened to me and, and my friendship with these guys, especially Mac. Uh, back when I was watching them go four for four after my dad took me across the bay to Seal Stadium to watch McCovey's debut. Yeah, and you know the the theme that keeps coming back, and I'm sure it was true for Joe Morgan that day, as well is is the humility. Willie Mack's 
humility. I mean, when people die, sometimes their personalities, the good sides of their personalities get embellished. Uh, you know, you never hear that uh, so-and-so was, uh, you know, really a mean cur when he really was a mean cur. Um, in Willie's case, uh, anybody who says he was a humble person uh, is really going to be telling a hundred percent of the truth. Uh, another thing Mike Kruko told me last night that I, I thought was instructive too was that Willie was not one of these old-time Hall of Fame ball players who said all of the people in his day were a lot better than all of the people now. Uh, and he really did believe that the players he was watching in his later years were great athletes who could have competed and beat all the greats of the game when, when he was playing. And uh, that humility, actually, re- it really came through in the opening line of his uh, 1986 Hall of, of Fame speech when he made it clear this speech was not really going to be about him. Why don't you take a listen? I realize the weather is threatening, but... A lot of people passed through my life during my long baseball career, and I hope you'll bear with me because I'd like to mention them all. You know, as humble as, as Willie was, uh, it really didn't match the ferocity of the way he played the game and particularly the way the ball came off his bat. I mean, there are so many stories that you can think of. The one that made me laugh when I read it yesterday in the obituary that you and Steve Croner wrote was was a time when you know the 1962 Mets uh, they were they were absolutely awful Roger Craig lost 24 games that year uh the the future hum baby manager Casey Stengel was the was the manager and uh, they were playing the Giants one day and as the story goes Casey came out to the mound uh, for a visit and uh, asked Roger Craig so uh, so Roger how do you want us to position the defense upper deck or lower deck <laughs> And, uh, you know, and, that, and that's one of those stories in baseball. There's, there's a million stories in baseball that are funny, even if they're not true. And like about, you know, 25% of the time, they're not true. I think you have a couple of stories as well. Yeah, and that's the same Roger Craig who told us years later as a Giants manager, he says, you got to be pretty good to lose 20 games in the big leagues. Yeah, he, he did say that. I heard him say that. He did a couple times with those awful Mets. But yeah, you're talking about hitting the ball so hard, it just so happened that you know, one of his most famous at bats was the line drive to Bobby Richardson in that game seven, and uh, that ended the '62 series. And and uh, you know, of all things, it was a line drive. And and by the way, in today's game, that would have been a base hit because they would have shifted him so far over that that thing would have been right to the second baseman, and we probably would have gone through all the way to the wall. But back then, they played him straight away. The Yankees did, and. Uh, uh, Mac stranded uh, uh, Matty Alou at third and Willie Mays at second with two outs in the bottom of the ninth in a one to nothing game. And a base hit would have scored them both and given the Giants the World Series title. But but speak, speaking of which, uh, hitting the ball hard, as Mac did so often, uh, Darrell Evans was telling me the story because Evans often hit in front of McCovey when they uh, were teammates for about four years in the uh, 70s and one time uh, Evans was at first base who gets the Pittsburgh Pirates and the great Willie Stargell and you know talk about superstars who looked up to other superstars this is what Stargell told Evans he said uh, he said hey you take my glove I'm going to stand behind you I'm not getting anywhere near this guy that's how much Stargell thought McGovey hit the ball and Stargell hit the ball pretty hard as we oh yeah oh yeah Uh uh-huh 
and uh, yeah, another another fun. Bay Area another Bay Area product too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we could talk about so many different aspects of of Willie's life, and I think the thing as as somebody who got to know him later. Uh, in his life that uh, was just so interesting to me was how the players, uh, the current players looked up to them, looked up to him. I mean, even players who, um, you know, I mean, we're, we're not even born when, when Willie retired. And that leads me to the, to the Willie Mack award. Um, you know, I think you would agree with me on this. I mean, players get awards all the time. Uh, and, and the Willie Mack award, which is given every year to the most inspirational giant the giant who most embodied what Willie was all about it's a big deal because it's voted on by the players but but longtime giants will tell you it means so much to them also because that Willie's name was attached to it or is attached to it and uh, I mean did you get did you get the sense too uh, about how the players you know just having the plaque with Willie's name on it meant meant so much to him and also to actually have him on the field to get the award? No, you're right. And, uh, you know, talking to Bonds one time, uh, that that's one thing he never got. And he thought he was going to get that the year he came back after surgery and uh, did really well in the final weeks that everyone expected him not to come back. And he said, okay, this is my year. And well, he didn't win it. I mean, that would have been a big thing. He has oh, all yeah. these MVPs, but he, he didn't, he didn't win the Willie Mack award. And, you know, it's not just the superstar player, the best player on the team, most inspirational. It, it could it could be a backup or a reliever, and it has been. Um, you know, the backup this year it was Will Smith. Yeah, yeah. and and a backup catcher last year, right? Hundley. Hundley, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, you know this this thing started the year he retired in 1980. Pat Gallagher, Pat Gallagher was a longtime uh, uh, marketing director of the Giants, and he kind of came up with the idea, and. Um, you know, because, you know, back then it was all about Mays. You know, Mays uh, was the player in New York, the player in San Francisco. And, you know, this is before McCovey Cove, before his statues. And, and so he came up with this Willie Mack Award as the most inspirational giant. It was genius. And the first one to get it was uh, Jack Clark. And, uh, and you know, his, the same year that McCovey played, he's given away uh, the the award. And by the way, McCovey probably could have won that award every year uh, as a player and in retirement. They could give him that thing every year until the end of time. Yep. So, Henry, looking back at Willie McCovey, he, he was one of the most popular giants, if not the most popular giant in San Francisco history. And the great thing about Willie, he, he was always at the ballpark. He was always around. And you and I both go around the league, and we don't see that at other places we we go we, we go to st louis we don't see bob gibson there every day we go to cincinnati we don't see johnny bench there every day and la uh, sandy koufax uh, he, he yes he was there in the world series but you don't see koufax in mid-may or late july yeah that's the beauty of mccovey it, it, he loves the game so much he just wants to be there and he has a suite on the broadcast booth and uh, you know he's a Giants advisor, and uh, you know it's it's it, you know like Mays. Mays is there every single day. We, you know Henry, we're we're blessed to have these guys uh, on a daily basis. We we see them at the ballpark every day. What what are your memories of him, or what 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 are your thoughts? You know because you've interacted almost daily with him, right? Yeah, John. You know uh, 
you're right about all the greats who would come to the ballpark every day. And, uh, you know, Mike Murphy, the longtime clubhouse manager, uh, he semi-retired now, but he had an office uh, in the clubhouse. Uh, he still does. And I would walk in every day uh, to do my daily uh, interviews with the current Giants, and I glanced over to my right into the room, and you would see Mays, and sometimes there would be McCovey, and sometimes there would be Cepeda, sometimes Joe Morgan when, when he was broadcasting. And what I really wanted to do was ignore the, the rest of the clubhouse, go in there and just snap pictures and put the tape recorder on. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had to go do my job. And, and really, uh, when I was, you know, first on the, on the beat, uh, and, and those guys would be in there, uh, when I was early in my career, I, I really didn't feel like I, I belong. I guess I never felt I belong, but there was a time when I started to get invited into those conversations and it was just wonderful to be a part of. Um, I think my lasting memory, uh, right now, uh, of, of Willie going forward is, is a little bittersweet because some of it speaks to his physical ailments, uh, and disabilities, but, but part of it is, is really sweet as, uh, as well, um, you know, he he would uh, go to every game, as we've talked about, and, and then they would uh, take him down the elevator to the ground floor where the clubhouse is so they could put him in a cart or just uh, take him in his wheelchair to his car. And as you know, at AT&T Park, the club-level seats uh, funnel into the same tunnel. Uh, so as the fans are walking out, uh, they would have their interactions with Willie, and, and Willie would be in his wheelchair uh, of, uh, and... Uh, usually with a smile on his face, I will say. And um, they would be wheeling him out, and the fans, it, it, it bothered me a little bit at first because I thought it was just a, you know, kind of a spectacle, and, and people would, you know, see him and try to touch him and all that. Um, but I got the sense that he liked it. I got the sense that he liked interacting with the fans today. And, and one thing I kept hearing from, like, older uh, fans Maybe not senior citizens, maybe not middle aged, but 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 fans with, with maybe young kids who have no idea who it is. I would hear this so much. They would tell their kids, "That's Willie McCovey. He's one of the greatest Giants who ever played the game." And I want you to remember that you saw him today. I heard that more than once, and and then I I realized that um, those fans uh, we take it for granted. You and I even talked about this a little bit last night. We may take for granted being in the in the presence of all these great players, it, the fans don't get to all the time. And to me, it's just perfectly fitting that the most humble um, and and uh, the most accessible of all the Giants greats would would still, even in his last days when he wasn't at his physical best, um, would see them um, and uh, you know interact with them. And I, I think that I think that'll be a good memory uh, that that I have uh, going forward. Um, and uh, you know, I. How about you? I mean, uh, as we as we come to these next few weeks, where we're going to have the memorial service and, and going into into next year, how do you, how do you feel that you know you're going to remember him? Well, you know, I, I I might have done what Chris Haft and myself over at MLB.com might have done the 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 last extensive interview with Willie, and that was shortly before his 80th birthday, which was in January. So we went over to his house in Woodside and spent two hours with him, maybe more. Uh, and, and we just talked and talked and talked. And it, it just it just felt wonderful that he would open up and talk about his career, uh, 
getting called up, uh, race issues, uh, the love affair with the fans, the people, the city, the region. Uh, you know, he, he spoke about how he was near death four years earlier with, with his infection and his, his heart stopping and he, he just overcame it. And uh, he was the ultimate comeback player of the year. I mean, it just seemed he came back from so much. He won the award officially as a player. But in later life, he just kept coming back and coming back, and you just knew he would. You would just keep coming back, and that—that that was him. And um, uh, you know, finally caught up with them uh, all those years with the physical issues, and uh, we'll remember him uh, every time we go out to the ballpark. There's a McCovey Cove. Uh, there's a McCovey statue. Uh, you know, there's the list of honorees for the uh, Willie Mack Award, and you know, we'll look back at the. Uh, the, his booth in the press box and he won't be there. He won't be smiling, looking over the team and commenting on the team that he loves uh, while wearing the Giants hat of all things. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll miss him dearly. Yes, we will. Um, well, thank you so much, John, for joining me in this podcast. And on behalf of John, I'd like to wish the, all the best to Willie's wife, Estella, uh, his daughter, Allison, and his grandchildren. I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more about Willie in the days to come. I also want to thank the Giants for permission to use Bye Bye Baby uh, in this podcast. And we would like to leave you with his final words, Willie's final words, from his 1986 Hall of Fame acceptance speech. And for many warm summer Sunday afternoons in the years to come, I will cherish the memories of my baseball career and the closeness of my family of relatives, friends, teammates, fans, and my fellow Hall of Famers. And I know my mother would not want me to leave this stage without thanking God Almighty. Thanks, Jesus, and thank you. Giants Double Play is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter, at Hank Schulman. You can support Giants Double Play and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.